Your baby doesn't love you anymore. Divorce is traumatic enough without the need for filmmakers to dramatize it. Yet it's right there, if not at the heart, then most certainly pivoting many celebrated Hollywood movies. Citizen Kane, E.T., Raging Bull, Psycho, The Philadelphia Story, Brokeback Mountain, An Unmarried Woman. However, those films don't focus on divorce so much as use it as a plot device. When the central characters part ways, we see the pivotal moment where one of them makes the announcement, and before we know it, papers have been signed, assets split, and a new life is forged. Rarely does the film stay up all night, talking discordantly into the small dark hours, all the while picking away at the scabbing wounds. Not even Kramer vs Kramer does that. Instead, it opens with Joanna announcing to Ted that she is leaving him. After that, it's about Ted coming to terms of being a single father to his son Billy. The reason for this is because there are simply some things that are too painful to watch, and a marriage in freefall is one of them. Yet, strangely, there are some things worse. For instance, sexual assault. But Pulp Fiction and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo attracted audiences despite the violence. How about the death or even murder of a child? Well, the same thing can be said for Don't Look Now and Shutter Island. But again, those movies use those events as plot devices. They happen and the stories move on. Which is strange, because drama is all about emotional transitions. And if divorce is about anything, it is a transition from love to loveless. So it's not so much divorce that films find difficult to dramatise, as it is the bad marriage, and the unpleasant, raw emotions that go with it. Resentment, animosity and hostility. No! No! I think I need... I, I think you owe me after this many pretty goddamn good years of marriage, a solid reason. I worked my ass off to make enough money to provide you with a good life. And you owe me a reason that makes sense. So let's hear it. Come on. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Because when I watch you eat, when I see you asleep, when I look at you lately, I just want to smash your face in. The War of the Roses came to life way back in 1978, when novelist Warren Adler was at a dinner party. At about half past 11, one of the guests glanced at his watch and announced that he needed to get home by midnight, otherwise his wife would lock him out of the house. We're getting a divorce, he explained. We hate each other, but have arranged to live together until the divorce is final. The soon-to-be single man then went on to explain to the bewildered guests that he and his soon-to-be ex-wife were time and space sharing everything in the house. The washing machine, the dryer, the bathroom, even the refrigerator where they compartmentalised their own food. They slept in separate bedrooms but kept the doors locked. Hearing that highly perplexing rationalisation, Adler fashioned a story about Oliver and Barbara Rose, a couple who meet while still in college and get married. Oliver, vindictively portrayed by Michael Douglas, pursues a successful legal career, while Barbara, played with equal malice by Kathleen Turner, invests all her energy into creating the perfect house. I have a wonderful house, crammed with beautiful things. 
I did this house myself. I did a great job. Not that I am necessarily a slave to materialism, no. But I am proud of what I have accomplished, although I suppose some people would find my life disgusting. No, <laughs> disgusting is too strong a word, no. I, I would not say that many people would respect the choices that I have made, although women would, women like me. But then I don't care what they think because I can't stand who they are. I mentioned Citizen Kane, and there are several points of similarity between The War of the Roses and Orson Welles' first masterpiece. On a superficial level, they were both made by actors turned directors. But where Welles was making his cinematic debut, Danny DeVito's freshman film was Throw Mama from the Train, the plot to which was kick-started by divorce. Another similarity between Kane and Roses is their structure. The main events have already happened, and so they unfold via flashback. Another one is the obsession with property. For the Roses, it's their house. For Kane, it was Xanadu. And finally, as if in an open nod to where Charles Foster Kane obsesses over his childhood sled, Oliver and Barbara Rose quarrel and fight and ultimately die in their struggle to retain sole custody over the very object that brought them together. The next item up for bid is an exquisite Japanese carving, circa 1700. A rare relief of a Shinto goddess, very richly detailed. The intricacies of the Orient... I have $10 from the premature young man in the grey raincoat. Do I hear 15? 11. $11. Ladies and gentlemen, please, do I hear 15? 20. $20. $20. I have $20, ladies and gentlemen. Do I hear 25 for this exceptionally exotic item? $30. 31. $31. All right, I have $31. Ladies and gentlemen, is this my final offer? Ladies and gentlemen, 31 going once. $40. $40. 40. Do I hear 45? 50. 50. $50. I have $50. Do I hear 60? $50 going once. Going twice. Sold. The pretty lady in the white sweater. Another similarity between the films is their visual style. Wells collaborated very closely with Greg Toland, who had already won an Oscar for his work on William Wyler's adaptation of Emily Bronte's classic gothic novel, Wuthering Heights. Brilliant as Toland's work was with Wyler and then John Ford on The Long Voyage Home, it was with Wells that Toland created his most dazzling images. From expressive use of deep focus, low angles, and dividing the frame into fields of heavy shadow and sharp light, Toland practically created a manual on modern cinematography. For The War of the Roses, DeVito chose Stephen H. Burham as a cinematographer, and through their collaboration, Roses repeatedly echoes Kane. Low angles allow the characters to loom large over the frame. Extreme close-ups of the faces dominate the verbal volleys, and where Toland used deep focus, Burham emphasised it to the point of parody. He used a split-field diopter lens that divided the frame either vertically or diagonally, into foreground and background, but kept them both in sharp focus. Burham had learned that technique while working with Brian De Palma on The Untouchables, but that is not to suggest that Burham and DeVito were merely rifling through a how-to manual or paying homage to other great filmmakers. No, the reason why they deployed the diopter lens is to exaggerate 
the spatial and therefore emotional distance between Mr. and Mrs. Rose. You owe me, Barbara. You've gotten a hell of a lot more out of knowing me than I've got out of knowing you. I'm not even going to ask you what that means. I am the one who found this house. I bought everything in it with my money. It's a lot easier to spend it than it is to make it, honey bun. You might not have made it if not for me, sweet cakes. You weren't even multi-orgasmic before you met me, were you? You really expect me to keep on reassuring you sexually even now when we disgust each other? The film marked the third time that Douglas and Turner worked together, having starred in Robert Zemeckis' fun adventure Romancing the Stone and its unequal sequel The Jewel of the Nile. Both those films had featured Danny DeVito, so this reunion made it a hat-trick. More than that, Douglas was coming off Fatal Attraction, in which his character risked his marriage by having a weekend fling. But however reckless that affair was, it paled in comparison to Turner's performance in Body Heat, where she played a woman who seduces a dim-witted lawyer into murdering her husband. Surely there are easier ways to leave your lover. What does she want? Child support? Always taking care of my kids. And they'll be 18 in one year, which makes it nice for you. What about alimony? Barbara, against my advice, waves alimony. I'm making money with my business, getting a lot of referrals. I can support myself. Well, I'm a lucky guy. My client is being more than fair, Mr. Rose. She's waived alimony, and she's willing to waive her rights against your law practice in exchange for the house and all of its contents except your shaving gear and uh, his clothing. Everything I made went into that house. I found that house. Every piece of furniture is where it is because I decided to put it there. That is my house. If your client has finished yammering, you should explain to her that a wife does not automatically get the house. The War of the Roses is a deliciously dark comedy, and I believe it marks career highs for the director and his two leads. You might argue at that point, but what is indisputable is that it was the zenith of screenwriter Michael J. Leeson. Until then, Leeson's credits were in TV comedies such as The Odd Couple, Happy Days and a two-year stint on Taxi that had starred Danny DeVito. The red areas are hers. The yellow areas are mine. Green is neutral. The kitchen was difficult, but Barbara came up with the idea of time allotment. This seems rational to you both? Yeah. Oliver, my father used to say that a man could never outdo a woman when it came to love or revenge. Why don't you just let her have the house? There are other houses. There are other women. No, 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 Gavino. I'm going to win because I've got her to accept the ground rules. Oliver, there is no winning in this. It's only degrees of losing. I got more square footage. The War of the Roses was released in 1989 when patriarchal America was surreptitiously pushing back the victories earned through the women's rights movement. So, while there had been many films depicting the battle of the sexes, think of Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn in Woman of the Year or Adam's Rib. None went as refreshingly dark as this. In fact, perhaps that is the best way to view DeVito's film. It is a modern twist on the screwball comedy, that seditious subgenre that played havoc with gender roles and marriage and all things some people hold sacred. A box office hit and well received by critics, 
Come award season, the War of the Roses was pushed aside in favour of an old, quiet lady. Driving Miss Daisy. Grounds for divorce, if you ask me. D-I-V-O-R-C-E Becomes 